It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Chicago sits right on Lake Michigan, but hardly any of the fish that's sold here in restaurants, fish markets and stores actually comes out of the lake. And that's gotten several Curious City listeners wondering, why don't we have a bigger commercial fishing industry in Chicago? I'm reporter Jessica Popovac, and it turns out commercial fishing was big in Chicago from the city's earliest days. In 1943 alone, crews pushing off from the Calumet and Chicago rivers and the North Shore hauled in a record 1.6 million pounds of fish from Lake Michigan. But since then, the industry has dried up. So what happened? You can still see some remnants of Chicago's fishing industry along the Chicago River, like here at Lawrence's Fish and Shrimp Restaurant in Chinatown. It's right next to that old vertical lift railroad bridge, the one with the tiny house on top. Today, it's just a restaurant. But 60 years ago, it was a busy fish stand where commercial fishermen docked their boats and sold their catch. Kurt Schweig is a third-generation owner of Lawrence's Fish and Shrimp. The original Lawrence was his grandpa. Hey, Kurt. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Uh, I met Schweig on his family dock, right where the fishing boats used to come in from Lake Michigan. What was caught here in uh, Lake Michigan? Yeah, so the three fish that I know of were uh, whitefish, uh, lake trout, and chubs. Uh, That's for the smoking side of things. Then they also caught lake perch for general consumption. They sold fresh and smoked fish, both to the public and to local retailers. I know that they sell the Dominic's and Jewel, most of the major hotels. Uh, Smoked fish and and fresh fish was a huge part of Chicago culture. That came from no refrigeration back at the turn of the century, and this is how we preserve things. We smoke it. They smoked it 24 hours a day in three smokehouses, each about the size of a big backyard shed. They'd fit about a 1,000 fish in each one. Schweig still remembers the guy who ran his grandfather's smokehouses. He reeked of smoke. I mean, it <laughs> never came out of his skin and hair. Do you remember his name? Uh, Lee. As a six or seven-year-old, he was quite intimidating. <laughs> he was a big Swedish guy and, and uh, chewed tobacco and smoked cigarettes and smoked with a heavy accent, and he smelled like smoke. And, of course, Schweig remembers the fishermen. Um, They'd typically work 12 or 14 hour days, even into the winter months. They did have an affinity for alcohol. um, (laughs) And because it was a really different lifestyle, very, very hard life. But those fishermen are long gone. And today, nothing on the menu at Lawrence's restaurant is caught here in the Great Lakes. That's ocean perch from um, the east or west coast of Canada. Catfish. Catfish are farm-raised Alabama, Mississippi. Uh, Frog legs. Those are farm-raised Taiwan uh, and Indonesia. So what happened to all those fish the fishermen used to catch? Well, there are many answers. A lake's ecology is a complex thing. Some blame unregulated pollution. Others blame overfishing. But just about everyone agrees a turning point was the arrival of the sea lamprey. In the early 20th century, man-made shipping canals allowed the lamprey to migrate from the Atlantic to the Great Lakes. I don't know if you know anything about the biology of the sea lamprey, but uh, you know you can call it a bloodsucker. Richard Hess worked on conservation for the state of Illinois from the mid-70s until the early 2000s. It attaches to the side of a large fish, 
and rasps through the skin with his teeth. It has a sucker disc on its mouth, so it attaches very firmly, and then it lives off the body fluids of its host fish, mainly lake trout. Hess says that once there were too many lampreys, the trout population tanked. Other invasive species followed. Eventually, the regional governments around the Great Lakes decided they needed to do something to manage their fish populations. So, in 1966, they introduced salmon to help control some of the invasive species. And soon after, they also started setting fishing quotas for each state. But Illinois' quota wasn't big enough to support its commercial fishing industry. So Illinois reduced the number of fishing licenses from 44 to just three. It held a lottery for those. Kurt Schwag remembers the shock of that. Sport fishing had also grown since the introduction of the salmon. And Schwag says that the commercial fishermen who worked off his grandfather's dock were not happy. They felt like it was uh, sport fishing was uh, who was driving it. Um, in order to enhance the ability for the sport fishing industry to grow. For a while, some old commercial fishermen didn't let the quota laws stop them. They got out there and fished anyway. Over the years, you know, I arrested a few of them. (laughs) We had a lot of confrontations with some of them, especially when things went political and they went to Springfield with their lobbyists and lobbied for their, their existence, their livelihood while the sport fishermen were gaining political influence in Springfield, saying, uh, we don't want them out there anymore. Today, the quotas for almost all the commercial fish species are zero. And there's only one commercial license active in Illinois. And that license hasn't been used in about 20 years. It belonged to Captain Bert Atkinson of Waukegan. He passed away last year. But his son, Dave, plans to continue renewing his dad's old license. First of all, it's because... You know, there's some sentimentality to it, right? And it's, you never know when things are going to change. Do you kind of hope that that'll happen someday? Me personally, I would drop what I'm doing and go back to commercial fishing in a heartbeat because I enjoy it so much. If commercial fishing ever does return to Illinois, it will be because fish populations have recovered enough to justify raising quotas again. There are small signs of hope. State DNRs have been stocking trout since the 60s and monitoring progress. Vic Santucci runs the Lake Michigan Fishery Program for the Illinois DNR. He says a few years ago, they finally started seeing the trout reproduce naturally. It was very cool, in my opinion, you know, to see that after 50 years of stocking that these fish were finally starting to reproduce. We're not claiming that rehabilitation is complete yet, but to see it sustained over multiple years like this, that's, I mean, that's a positive sign. Santucci says before they raise any quotas, they'll need to find a lot of the same type of fish for several years in a row. I went out recently with Santucci's team. They were looking for perch at Loyola Beach. They put on waders, unrolled their 30-foot net, and walked it out into the water. They came back with a mound of small fish. They were looking for young perch, but they didn't find any perch that day. Spot tail, 40. Not there or at any of the other four sites. Do you think the populations will ever be robust enough to allow for commercial fishing again? Boy, that's a tough call. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough thing to predict. We don't have a crystal ball. It's possible that things could turn around, but it's hard to predict that if it will ever come back. 
Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Jessica Popovac. Well, we signed on in Charlevoix aboard the Mary Jean. Me and my shipmate Davy, we both turned 17. And we stowed our gear up forward, and our day's work soon be laid. We learned the ropes the hard way in the Great Lakes fishing trade. So call hands to the braces, close hauled and underway. You never spit to windward in the Great Lakes fishing trade. Hey, Curious City listeners, I'm Leon Nafok, host of the Slate podcast, Slow Burn. Our current season is about the impeachment of Bill Clinton. And I wanted to tell you that on Friday, October 26th, we'll be doing a live show at the Athenaeum Theater in Chicago. Joining me on stage will be Jennifer White, host of the WBEZ podcasts, Making Oprah and Making Obama, as well as historian Rick Perlstein. We'll be talking about Bill Clinton's legacy, partisan warfare, and a whole lot else. As a native Chicagoan, I am super excited about the show, and I hope you consider coming by. Go to slate.com slash live for tickets. Next time on Curious City, a listener asks why Chicago doesn't have many food co-op stores. And it turns out Chicago may be getting as many as six new food co-ops. They're coming to different neighborhoods for different reasons, like this one. I'm looking for something more, I guess, in line with my values because I don't really believe in capitalism as an economic system. Chicago's new wave of co-ops. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.